Uh, turning to page 1175, if you're using the Church Bible. Page 1175, Ephesians chapter 4, and we want to read it together from verse 17. Paul says, So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live or walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking, being darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual desire for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to have put off your old self, which is corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to have put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore each of you, having put off falsehood, speak truthfully to his neighbour, for we are all members of one body. In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Amen. We are now in the practical section of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Page 1175. It's where we've reached this morning, Ephesians uh, chapter 4, and beginning at verse 1 is his practical section, and it runs right through to the end uh, of the letter. And in this section, Paul spells out for the Christians then in Ephesus, and for us today in Carrickfergus, how we are to live out our Christian faith. 
The passage that we come to this morning is chapter 4, from verse 17 through to verse 32, page 1175. And our subject this morning is being different in Christ, or being different as a Christian. And the question I want to ask at the beginning this morning to get you thinking about this subject is this. How different are the Christian and the non-Christian? And in what ways are the Christian and the non-Christian to differ? And are the differences between the Christian and the non-Christian, are they fundamental? Uh, Are they like the colours black and white? Totally Contrasted. Or are the differences between the Christian and the non-Christian those of what we might call hue and shade? A bit like if you go to a shop to buy white paint and you will be asked, what kind of white paint do you want? Do you want brilliant white? Do you want apricot white? Rose white? Apple white? Almond white is all these shades and hues of white paint. In this passage, Paul teaches us that the Christian, whatever the background he or she has been saved from, that the Christian is utterly different to the non-Christian. Utterly different. As different as black and white. It's not a matter of hues and shades. Now when Paul emphasises being different in Christ, he's not talking, and we need to be clear about this, he's not talking about issues of culture or taste or politics. He's not saying, for example, that a person saved from a Catholic background has to give up their Irish culture, their Irish music, and perhaps their Irish nationalism, and embrace the culture of the existing church members. He's not talking about those outward things. Now Paul is talking here about beliefs and behaviour. And so our subject is being different as Christians in our beliefs and in our behaviour. The beliefs and the behaviour of the Christian stand out. They are in contrast to the beliefs and behaviour of the non-Christian. Let's look at it this morning Under two headings. First of all, being different as Christians in our understanding. Or we might say in our thought processes. In the way in which we view life and look at life. And that's the burden of verses 17 to 24. 
how a person views life determines how they live. Jesus put it very vividly. He said the person who lives life without God, they eat and they drink and they are to marry because they go on the basis tomorrow we die. And so they, their philosophy, their view of life is enjoy life to the full while it is yours and while you can. Their view of life affects their behaviour. Now Paul calls that approach to life, verse 17, living in the futility of their mind. Living in the futility of their mind or walking in the futility of their mind. He's talking about the non-Christian. And the indelible mark used to be an indelible ink that you got to write names on, um, uh, on your uniform couldn't be uh, washed out or couldn't be rubbed out. And the indelible mark of the non-Christian is that he or she lives life apart from God. God is not in their thoughts. And if God is in their thoughts, it is a God of their own imagination. A Santa-like figure who is kind to everyone, regardless of how they live. The non-Christian formulates their view about life on the basis of their own reason. I think, I believe. Or they formulate their views on life from what the newspapers say, or what the scientists assert. Now why do they do this? Why does the non-Christian follow the futility of their own mind? Well, Paul goes on to explain that they suffer from an underlying condition. You might call it an illness. An illness of spiritual darkness and deadness. Look at verse 18. Being darkened in their understanding. Being separated from the life of God. you notice I've changed the translation. Because it is a present participle. Being darkened. Being separated. Here is a state in which the non-Christian lives day after day after day. Their understanding is twisted and distorted. It is confused and is mixed up. And they do not know God. But how do they come to be in that desperately dangerous state or condition? And again Paul answers that question in the next part of verse 18 where he says on account of or because of the ignorance which is in them due to their hardness of heart. But you see what Paul is doing here? He's tracing things right the way back from attitude to life to an underlying state or condition and then he shows us how that underlying state or condition has been created. How it has come about. 
And Paul is saying here that their spiritual state is self-inflicted. Now that might surprise us. Because we would normally expect Paul to say that our spiritual condition is of the non-Christian is unavoidable. Because of the fall in Adam. And that is true. And Paul doesn't deny that. And he'll state that elsewhere. But here now he's speaking of an active unbelief. And he's speaking now of what, what contributes to this ongoing unbelief. This ongoing state of not being converted. And he's saying very simply and very clearly. Their spiritual state is self-inflicted. Let me illustrate. Last week I had an abscess in a tooth. And it was entirely self-inflicted. I had no one to blame but myself. In December I lost a filling. And I didn't take action immediately. I didn't pay attention to what is commonly known. If you leave a tooth unfilled, you will get an infection. And in the same way, Paul is saying, the non-Christian is in a state of spiritual deadness and darkness because they have not paid attention to what is commonly and widely known. They have followed the ignorance, the unbelief that is within them. They have thought, I know better. And they have rejected that universally available knowledge of God. Because God is revealed to the non-Christian. If you're not a Christian here this morning, God reveals himself to you. How does he do that? He does it in creation. The world around you. You cannot look at that and conclude there is no God. God reveals himself through your conscience that is within you. You cannot um, be honest with yourself and not realise that you know the difference between right and wrong. And that is because of God and the knowledge that he's placed within you. And then of course... The fullest revelation of all of God is in Jesus Christ. And that knowledge is widely available. You and I this morning, we have the Bible. And we have the knowledge of God in Christ. Made plain to us in the reading and the preaching of the word of God. And so Paul is saying here that the non-Christian who walks in the futility of their mind... And who is this underlying state of spiritual deadness and darkness. They are to blame in a real sense for it themselves. And they have no one to blame but themselves. Because as this knowledge of God that is there in creation and in conscience and in Christ has come to them. What have they done? They have hardened their hearts against it. They've said, I don't want this God. And they often say to the non-Christian, 
who talks to me and opens up about spiritual things and tells me about things they're thinking about and, and considering the gospel and things they're hearing, I say to them, the one thing you must not do as you receive this knowledge of God, whether it is through being a church, whether it is through having Christian friends, whether it is through events that happen in life, the one thing you must not do is harden your heart and say, I don't want you, God. I don't want this revelation of you. Because if you do that, you're putting yourself in a dangerous, dangerous state that Paul describes here. And if someone keeps on doing that, Paul shows the outcome of this way of thinking. Verse 19, who having cast off all feeling, gave up themselves to sensuality or to licentiousness as it is in some other verses. He's talking now about the practical outworking of this. In other words, they live a life which says, anything goes. I will do what I want. And no one has any right to tell me that I can't do it or I shouldn't do it. I will live life as I wish, as I want. And Paul says that ends up in uncleanness and impurity. It ends up in a life without um, morals and a life that is not pleasing to God. Now every non-Christian is not as bad as Paul describes here. We need to realise that. But what Paul is saying here is the non-Christian without restraint. And thankfully there are various factors. There's family, there's friends, there's religion, there's social custom. And all of those things act as curbs or restraints on the non-Christian. They did on me. They did on you. Uh, or many of you before you were Christians. But if you were to take away those restraints... This would have been you. This would have been me. So Paul here gives us a little picture of the non-Christian. How they think. How they approach life. I wonder, does anyone here this morning feel that Paul is describing them? Perhaps you're here this morning, you're not yet a Christian. And as you listen to the scriptures, God is speaking to you. Then I say to you, as I've said already, do not harden your heart, but rather open your heart and open your ears and think and about and receive these things that God is saying to you uh, in your unbelieving state. But then, fellow Christian, let's go back and ask our initial question. How different is the Christian to the non-Christian? And what is Paul's answer if we had nothing more than these verses up to this point? Well, Paul is saying Christians are completely different. We have a completely different outlook or approach to life. But he doesn't leave us to draw that conclusion ourselves. Paul goes on in verses 20 to 24 to spell out 
and to paint now the picture of the Christian. And he follows exactly the same line of reasoning. As a Christian, you do not live in the futility of your mind. You do not say, or at least I hope you do not say, I don't care what God says uh, or thinks. No, verse 24, you are being renewed, and again it's a present, you're being renewed in the spirit of your mind. There's a renewing that's taking place day by day from God through his word as you read the scriptures. And so your whole way of looking at life is being changed more and more to being that which is God-centered and Christ-centered and Christ-honoring. We might put it like this. Your mind is under new management. Recently, the Northern Bank was bought over by the Dansk Bank. And if you wanted to do the bank in town here, you would see new signs uh, and you've got new information about uh, the logo and the checkbooks and all their literature. Now the bank operates out of the same buildings. But the old way of operating has been replaced by a new way of operating. And you see the reality is you and I as Christians, we live out our lives out of the same building, the same body. But there's a new management structure that has been put in place from the moment we became a Christian. God is now dwelling. God is now in management in our lives. Paul refers to this in verse 22. And the translation here is not particularly good in the NIV. It should be, for you have put off. It's not... It's, this is not a command, something there to do now. It's a statement about something that has happened in the past. Paul is saying, at your conversion, at the moment of salvation, you put off your former conduct. There was a way of life, that which we've just described, which you left behind. And there was something that you put on at that stage, Verse 24, and having put on, or have put on, the new man, which was created according to God. In other words, your way of thinking about life, why has it changed? Why is it so different from that of the non-Christian? It's because there's been a regeneration. There's been a renewal of mind and heart and will. That is what salvation is. It's God, the Holy Spirit, coming and not just taking away our sin in Christ, but making us new in our mind and in our heart and in our will. So that we think and we have affections for and we have desires for God and what honours him. Now, how did this transformation take place? What was it that caused this transformation to take place? Well, Paul goes on in verse 20, and he says, they have learned Christ, or you have learned Christ. Uh, he puts it in a negative. He said, this is not how you learn Christ, but positively, this new nature, 
How did it come about? It came about when they learned Christ. Verse 21, if indeed you have heard him and been taught him as the truth is in Jesus. It's not heard of him. It is actually heard him. What's Paul saying? He's saying that in the gospel, as these people heard the gospel preached, as you and I heard the gospel preached, we heard Christ speak to us. Christ taught us to repent. Christ taught us to believe. And at the moment of conversion, Christ set us free to live as a new person. And look in verse 24. Here's the outcome of this new life in Christ. In righteousness and true holiness. The contrast to the uncleanness that marks the non-Christian. So how different is the Christian to the non-Christian? Paul says absolutely different. Two entirely different cameos or pictures. He puts it like this in verse 17, does he not? In the opening words when he says, I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live or walk as the Gentiles do. He's saying you're not an unbeliever. And you cannot therefore walk or live as an unbeliever. You are entirely different. And that is a very, very vital truth for you and me to hear in 2013. Because one of the things that's happening today within the Christian church is that the church is becoming more and more like the world. Like the non-Christian, in the way in which he thinks, in the way in which he reasons, in the way in which he speaks and lives and acts. And things which are clearly contrary to the word of God are taught and believed. And we need to hear this call of Paul, this call of Christ through Paul, that we are different as Christians, as different from the non-Christian as day is from night, as black is from white. That brings us then secondly to look at the practical illustration and outworking of this. Being different in our living as Christians. And we're looking now at verses 27 to 32. Being different in our living as Christians. Paul now gives us concrete examples of how this holiness and righteousness of life will manifest itself in everyday life. This is not highbrow stuff. This is Paul talking about how you and I relate to one another. He's talking now about how a husband, a Christian husband, relates to their wife. How Christian parents relate to their children. How uh, Christians uh, in the church relate to one another. 
And Paul is saying, because we have put off the old nature, and because we've put on the new nature at conversion, there are attitudes, there are words, there are actions that we have to leave behind. Got to leave behind. So here is how to build relationships in Christ. With those whom you live with in your home. With those whom we gather with in the church. And first up is put off lying. Put off lying. And put on truth. And that's verse 25. Look at what Paul says. Therefore each of you. Having put off falsehood. It literally is speak. And here that's the, that's the command. You see he's, he's, the first part of the verse. He's saying we've already put it off. In principle at our conversion. And so it should be put off in practice. In our living. And therefore speak truthfully to his neighbour. Jesus is the truth. Isn't he? He is the truth. And the followers of Jesus. Are to be marked by truth. Not only believing the truth as it is in scripture. But practicing truth. In our speech and relationships. In every relationship of life. Husband and wife. Parent and child. Member and member. Not speaking half truths. Not exaggerating situations. So that the truth is distorted. Not withholding information. That is important. So that we save face. Not using words to deceive or mislead one another. Put off lying. Speak the plain and simple truth. Now why is this so important? Notice that little phrase at the end of the verse which can seem a bit puzzling. For we are members of one another. Why is it so important that we speak the truth to one another... And it ties in with being members of one another. Well what would happen. In your physical body. If one part of the physical body didn't speak the truth. You're out for a walk. This afternoon. And. You see a berry. On a tree. And it happens to be a poisonous berry. But your eye lied to your brain and said, that's a juicy strawberry. What would you do? Well, your brain would tell your hand to reach out. So the eye is lying to the brain. The hand reaches out and you eat the poisonous berry. And what has happened to the body? The body would be destroyed. Why? Because of the lying member. 
You see, that's what Paul is saying here. Saying lying is so serious in the church. Because if one part of the body lies to the other part, then, and that is the persistent practice, the body will die. The body will die. The gospel is truth. And anyone who does not put off lying cannot claim to know the gospel in its saving power and work. Put off lying. Put on truth. But then, second up, is put off sinful anger. And put on righteous anger. Looking now at verses 26 and 27. In your anger, do not sin. Do not give the devil, verse 27, a foothold in your life. Anger is an attribute of God. And scripture teaches us that his anger is deserved. It's controlled. It's principled. It's never vindictive. It's never spiteful. And how often our anger is all of those things. Jesus reflected this righteous anger of God on a number of occasions. And those come to our minds. And so Paul commands. Therefore in the light of anger which is an attribute of God. That our anger were not to sin in the midst of it. He's drawing our attention to the fact that your anger and mine often is sinful. It often centers around me. My feelings, my wishes, my rights, my honour, my name, my will. And Paul says that this anger that is sinful, it opens the door to the devil. It's like us opening the front door of our house to a burglar or a criminal and say, come right in. He says, look at, look at the, the havoc it causes. That's what he wants us to think of. And think for a moment of the havoc that wrong anger um, causes. The bitterness. Harshness. Desire for revenge. Causes spite. It harbors grudges. It keeps a list of wrongs done to us. And it makes for an unforgiving spirit. Unrighteous anger will make us unforgiving people. And so Paul says, put off sinful anger. Put on righteous anger. And because it is so difficult for us to have righteous anger, it's wisest for us to be very um, sparse with when we allow anger to express itself in our lives. Next, we come to verse 28. Put off theft. Put on work. Again, he's contrasting the Christian uh, with the non-Christian. Everyone needs the basics of life. 
You need food, you need clothes to keep you warm, you need a house to live in. How is the Christian to obtain these? Well, we are to work. We're not to steal from another. And that's widely accepted in Northern Ireland culture. Perhaps less widely accepted in Northern Ireland is this stealing from the government. Stealing from the government. The Christian who claims benefits instead of going out and getting a job. Perfectly capable of doing a day's work. But instead decides to sit around and to laze about. Paul says, work to that Christian. This is how God intends us to provide for ourselves, our families and the needy. This is how we support Christian ministry. And so we are to avoid idleness. We are not to live off the government. Christians are to be, to be providers, not takers. Verse 28. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Put off filthy talk, or unwholesome talk. Put on edifying speech. Verse 29 is the next one. And the word here for evil, which is the literal translation uh, in verse 29. Do not let any um, evil, the literal word is rotten. It's used of trees that are rotten. It's used of fruit that has gone off. Look in your fruit basket and there's an apple or a plum. And it's rotten. And that's the picture here. And Paul is speaking now not of lying in particular, but he's speaking of speech generally. And we ask ourselves about our speech. Does my speech build up my fellow Christian? Or is it rotten? Is it that that, that brings out the worst in me and other people? Is it negative and critical and fault-finding and complaining? What about our conversations with one another as fellow Christians? Does your conversation with anyone leave them um, saying, I wish I had not spoken to him or her this morning? Or do they go away saying, I'm really glad I had that conversation because I feel encouraged, I feel boistered up in my Christian faith and Christian living. Then finally Paul talks about here verses 31 and 32. Put off sinful attitudes. Not just our words. Not just our emotions are to be under the control of Christ and what we do with our hands. But also the attitudes we have in life. Now verse 31 is not an exhaustive list of sinful attitudes. They're rather a sample. It's rather a sample. Paul mentions six. And all we can do this morning. Is just mention them in passing. Uh, verse uh, 31. 
get rid of all bitterness. Sourness. Are you a sour Christian? You've heard of the phrase, the sour pus. It should never be said of a Christian. A sour and cynical outlook on life. Always bitter about things. Comes back to wrath. Or, sorry, speaks now of wrath as opposed to anger. And wrath here is the idea of having a fiery temper. A fiery temper that lets fly at anyone and at anything that crosses their will or way. That's not becoming of a Christian. Then he mentions anger again. The idea of a settled and sullen hostility towards a fellow believer. Clamour or loud speaking or brawling as it is in the NIV is the person whose voice very quickly in any situation of conflict it rises and it rises and it rises to it turns to shouting and screaming at another Christian. Clamour. It's not being controlled by the Spirit. It's not the way in which Christ spoke to those who provoked him. And then evil speaking, slander, speaking of another, especially a Christian, behind their backs with a view to harming their good name. Malice, the ill will that wishes that even plots against another Christian. Attitudes. Attitudes that we have to put off in our day-to-day relationships because at our conversion we said those are finished with. And you see Paul ends with how we're to deal with one another in verse 32 because here's how God and Christ has dealt with us. Showed us kindness and compassion and forgiveness. And so I who experience God's kindness in Christ and you who experience God's kindness in Christ we have to show that kindness to one another. You and I who have experienced compassion where Christ looks upon us and sees us in our weakness and our need. We've got to look at others and we've got to see them in their weakness and their need. Not breaking the bruised reed or snuffing out the smouldering wick. And you and I who experience God's forgiveness in Christ, how can we refuse to forgive another? You see, it's been different in Christ. In how we think about life and how we live life. And it's all summed up in verse 30. The verse that we passed over. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God by which you were sealed for the day of redemption. You and I, the moment of our conversion, we received the Holy Spirit Christ put that stamp of ownership upon us. And 
We have that on us to the day of redemption. That's the day when our bodies will be raised, new bodies, resurrected bodies. And so between these two points, the moment of my conversion, when the Holy Spirit was put upon me, and the day when I have a new body to go with the renewed soul, between those two days, we are to put off the lying and the sinful anger and the theft, the corrupt talk, the sinful attitudes, and we're to put on kindness and compassion and forgiveness and all these other qualities. Because this is how God has dealt with us in Christ. We've talked about it being different in Christ. Perhaps it would have been better to have called this sermon being like Christ. Because that is our calling. Amen.